In the 20 plus years of helping people plan for the cost of retirement and long-term health care, we've identified one consistent theme among families and caregivers. People don't like to talk about money. Life care affordability planning helps families who are facing long-term health issues and increasing health-related expenditures to make better informed financial decisions during a time when there are so many unanswered questions. It's time to face this topic head-on, address the emotional charge of discussing money, and discover practical ways to bridge the gap between a long-term health care plan and your ability to pay for it. Hello and welcome to Life Care Affordability Planning with Tom West and Arvet Reed from Signature Estate and Investment Advisors. I want everybody on the podcast to know today, I am clueless. I have absolutely no idea what we're talking about today because Professor Tom is in the building <laughs> and uh, he is teaching a class today and I am going to learn lots. And Arvet's there too and she is, uh, I don't know what she's doing today. So let's find out. Arvet, Tom, what's going on? Hello, hello. <laughs> no, I was just trying to think of our, Eric coming into the conversation clueless, and no, absolutely. <laughs> I figured I'd just avoid the 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 obvious gag. So today, what we're going to be talking about, Eric, and and you know, should you choose to participate, and I hope you do, we're going to be talking about how do you manage somebody else's money hmm. when you might not be sure about how you're managing your own money, and how do you make decisions in the face of so much uncertainty regarding how long somebody might live or what kind of help they might need. Because this is a situation that we've got you know, family members across the country being thrown into every day. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, I, and I guess I would just put it to you, the two of you, imagine that you're primarily responsible for taking care of somebody that you love. And in addition to managing your own life and managing the, the plan of care that is hopefully going well to take care of somebody, you now realize that you're the one named on the durable power of attorney to manage property and investments and whatnot. You're the one named perhaps by the court mm -hmm. in a conservatorship mm -hmm. about, listen, the court says, you know, our vet, congratulations, you got to run all the money. Or maybe you're the successor trustee where somebody is less able. And as we're sitting here talking, you for the first time realize that, wow, it's 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 my responsibility and my name's on there. So I, I sort of put it to our vet, like, what's your what's your first reaction as potentially being awarded this fantastic responsibility of managing somebody else's money? Yeah, we go right back to the people don't talk about money. And so everybody, I just stall. <laughs> just freak out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Next, let's talk about something else. <laughs> yeah, and, and where where do you think you'd start? You know, in terms of the non-professional, somebody that that's got some family experience and professional experience, but just do you have a good idea of where you would even start? I think it was interesting in going through this in my own life. Once I joined the firm here, I, my eyes opened up to to how I could do it, and it helped me realize that from my 15 years of senior housing and healthcare there were certain steps that I just knew how to take because mm -hmm. that was my profession. Yeah. And what I found interesting is in the financial world, you have certain steps that you always take, but the rest of us don't know those things. Right. Right. So I think that one of the things that, that we're going to start with, I think a pretty easy concept for what's a process for making decisions in general, mm -hmm. whether they be financial decisions, whether they be healthcare decisions, business decisions and whatnot. But a place to start is 
getting a full awareness of what the circumstances are that you're in, like what's going on. Right. How do yeah. you organize the information that you need to make decisions? Um, do you know where all of the money is? Uh, do you have a sense of what the balance sheet looks like, where all of the different assets and liabilities are? Do you know what the cash flow looks like? Well, some people haven't even done a balance sheet ever. Yeah, yeah. I know. So, so Tom, as it, go ahead, Eric. Yeah, before we get started too deep into this, I got to say that you asked the question and it really brought up some anxiety in me because the first thing I thought about is I reflected on my own situation, my own finances, my wife and I, and I'm thinking, what a mess <laughs> we have. I mean, yeah. l- the, the, the accounts that we have in different locations, the, the different subscriptions that we have. I mean, who's going to keep my Netflix running? Uh, you know, just the, from the mundane to the simple to all these other things that are automatic payments these days. I, I can't imagine somebody having to walk into my mess, uh, trying to help me figure it out or, or run it for me, not knowing everything. And you, you put it on my shoulders now to do that for somebody else. And maybe that person has some cognitive impairments. Maybe that person can't communicate as well as they could five years ago. And if we haven't had these conversations, I'm in a world of hurt right now because, and so I'm, I'm in the same, I'm in the panic bus with our vet. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, I think, well, I mean, you heard the audience heard that I was going to go down the path of organization, but, but I think with Eric's appropriate interruption about like, man, like, uh, you know, I don't even know where my own stuff Stop is, <laughs> but let's think a little bit about just the responsibility, Eric, that you and your wife have of your own stuff. You know, you're in charge of you. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's, there's actually a different standard of care when, and I think this is part of what a lot of us sense in terms of what's anxiety building. Listen, if it's my own stuff, you know, I kind of know where it is, sort of, and yeah, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't okay, want to hand this off, but yeah. I, I give myself permission to treat my own situation in, in an unorganized haphazard pattern. Mm-hmm. Right. But when I've got the responsibility of doing this for somebody else, it's sort of like, you know, you get pucker face, like, oh, okay, <laughs> I, I, I gotta be, I gotta be, execute a standard of care that might be a lot higher than what I'm doing for myself. And mm-hmm. I think that that leap, Eric, that what you were talking about, that's part of what freaks everybody mm-hmm. out because maybe their stuff in their own house isn't all buttoned up and it feels like even an extra leap to go to a higher standard of of, of decision-making and protocol when, when I know that I'm responsible for somebody else's money. And just think about, you know, for a lot of families, there's even an additional pressure where maybe you've got siblings that are keeping and like giving you the side eye about Mm -hmm. managing stuff. Maybe there's, you know, other beneficiaries of a trust that are kind of wanting to see how you make these decisions about how much money you're spending on mom's care. You know, do you have any conflicts of interest? Like those additional pressures above and beyond just needing to elevate the standard of care in terms of managing something else, that's real and that's anxiety inducing. And coming back to what our vet was talking about, Man, people don't talk about this, Mm-mm. but where, where do you start? Well, you, you start probably a lot of times just in freakout mode right. where mm-hmm. you're, you're, you procrastinate, you bounce around, around a lot of worry in your head. And I think that, that the purpose really of this podcast is, you know, you know, life care affordability plan team, like what are the, what are the practical steps? What, what are the five things that you actually can do? Like if I was going to write down five bullets coming out of this podcast. So what do we actually do so I can break this into smaller pieces and actually make some progress? Because one of the things that our earlier 
series of podcasts have done is really talked about some of the risks that we run with inattention to finances. Right. So my suggestion would be, let's think a little bit about how we organize our material. And in our, in our vet, I would put it a little bit to you as the, the professional coming from senior housing and healthcare. Think about ways that professionals arrive at a plan of care first. You just don't jump in mm -hmm. and prescribe a medication and home care like right out of the gate just as somebody comes right in. You, you stop, you go through a handful of different diagnostic processes to sort of figure things right, out and to gather the information. Yeah. And talk a little bit about the discovery that you do in, in senior housing and healthcare to ascertain some health and living and social needs. And, and my, my overwhelming suspicion is there's a lot of parallels with the way you sensitively gather information that could serve this new responsibility of managing somebody else's money. Yeah. I think the idea of organizing the information before you leap is very important not only from a healthcare uh, viewpoint, but also from financial. So from the healthcare viewpoint, when someone has some kind of illness or sometimes some kind of diagnosis, you start going back and looking at old records, you start rethinking behaviors, what has happened in the past year, mm -hmm. have I noticed something, maybe I saw it, but at the time it didn't register, but now that I have this new diagnosis, it all makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to Get all the information out of your head, out of your family's head, out of whoever, and write it down so that everybody can look at the same information, right? Because you can't make a plan until you have all the information. Right. Because uh, sometimes, an example for a dementia, someone could have a dementia diagnosis or someone could have just had a urinary tract infection, which also can cause short-term dementia. So if all of a sudden someone shows a sign of dementia and you jumped into moving them to an assisted living. Right, that, and they have a UTI. Yeah, <laughs> that's not necessarily where they need to be. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I want you to, one of the things that you said that was that was interesting is, is looking back on previous patterns to identify and inform what our current situation is. Let's also think about progress we've made in previous podcasts about imagining what families are most hopeful for and what families are most afraid of. Right. And I think that that actually comes in the organization and the discovery stage, mm -hmm. where before we decide to make a whole bunch of decisions, just stop you know, given what we know about the healthcare circumstance and the financial circumstances, what are the outcomes that we're most hopeful for? How do we how do we really build that out as thoroughly as possible? And we start there, and then we also talk about well, what are some of the outcomes that we're most fearful of that might give us the most anxiety to move forward in the decision making process? And we identify that because that those two things, those boundaries of what we're most hopeful for and what we're most afraid of that that almost that almost gives us sort of the 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 range of choices that we are building towards as time goes on. Yeah, so, I call them the bumpers. Yeah, the bumpers. There you go. Keeps you in lane. Yeah, I like that. So so let's think of that as step number one, organize and fully discover and be aware of the situation you're in before you jump to any of the other ones. Remember, sometimes when people are going through different kinds of anxiety or grief, there is an instinct to act. There's an instinct to ready, fire, aim. Some of us, you know, duck and cover and procrastinate and deny. Others just decide to 
I, you know, I, I feel anxious and I need to care about somebody and I need to do something. And that's my, you know, it's been really interesting though, watching as we work with clients on the life care affordability plan and we're in the organized phase, Yeah, the list of things that we give to clients is not a list that I ever saw prior to working here. Yeah. And so the idea of organizing the organizing, what? So if I was listening to this, where do I go to find that first list of stuff to just pull together? No, that's a good question. Well, I mean, I think that you start with what's coming in in the mailbox. Mm -hmm. You know, um, where are the most recent statements? That's a place to start. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes it takes families one, two, three months worth of watching the mail just to get the gross information to start putting together what the cash flow looks like and what the balance sheet looks like. Mm -hmm. So that's a place to start, looking at w different statements. Another piece, too, that you want to do is what does the tax return look like? You know, hopefully there's been taxes filed, so we'd at least be able to see what's been reported as income mm -hmm. and what some of the deductions might be that we've taken in the past. Those are probably some of the places to start. The other thing is, if we're in a period of care that costs additional money, well, we need to know what that additional expense might be because that might be new to the house. That might not be something that you'd be able to pull out of two years ago. We weren't mm -hmm. in an assisted living facility. So this is where we were and now we've got an assisted living that it sort of informs the way that we set out the financial information that we need. Mm -hmm. But I, sometimes it's as easy as wait by the mailbox for a full cycle of, of, of statements coming in and start there. Mm -hmm. that, that's a good question. So step number two is talking about evaluating the different options and identifying the different options that you as the person responsible for the financial decisions really have to make. And a lot of times people will, will think first, well, what do I do with investments? You know, what do I do with, you know, these oddball bank accounts or IRAs or whatnot? And the reason that we, 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 we don't, evaluate options first, the reason we think through the discovery and the organization first is we should have already identified the things that we're most hopeful for. We should have already identified the outcomes that cost money that we might be most afraid of. The answer to the question on figuring out your different options is what are the different choices that we need to make that give us as a, as a household and you as a decision maker, the highest probability of paying for things that you're most hopeful for. Mm -hmm. So, and I'll give you an example. If you've got a half a million dollars in oddball investments and cash and IRAs and all over the place, and you determine after looking at cash flow and expenses and whatnot, that you need that half a million dollars to generate an additional $30,000 of income, you know, per month or per, per year to be able to pay for care, then the job of that money should be, what do I need to do with that $500,000 to be able to pay for $30,000 a year, which might change down the road, but in, in, the, in the best possible way. And then the sets of options that you think of is you're working sometimes with a financial advisor or a brokerage or somebody at the bank to identify this new job of the money for that my half million dollars is to generate $30,000 a year. What are the different options that can move me in that direction? What, what, what different choices are there with mutual funds or stocks or bonds or whatnot? Because interestingly enough, if you have a half a million dollars assigned the job of generating $30,000 a year, it's a very different allocation and strategy and set of options as if you had a million dollars 
or $250,000. So the money that you start with is material in what the set of options are that you've got, but you always want to go through the step of evaluating all of the different ways that you could consider to get there. Mm-hmm. And that, that I th- I'm sure parallels different things that you see in senior housing and healthcare before you immediately jump to an assisted living, for example, right. on a plan of care. There's a whole lot of consideration of some different alternatives as well. Yeah, I think the evaluate stage for those of you who have gone through trying to analyze how to help a loved one in a healthcare situation is when you start touring places and you start making phone calls and you start trying to get an idea about how much this healthcare stuff is going to cost. So just like sometimes on the financial side, people are jumping in blind, like I've never had to deal with this before. Most families jumping into healthcare side, it's the same way. When I worked at the assisted livings, I had families coming in like, yeah, my dad just got diagnosed with dementia. I have no idea what this place costs, right? So you're really gathering information so that you can evaluate what your choices are. And what's interesting is not everybody knows, Tom, that $500,000 has to then generate an additional 30. Like not everybody can think that way. Mm -hmm. So the key is first figure out, evaluate what kind of services you may or may not need and what your options are. And then someone hopefully can help you see that you need to generate an extra 30. That's the part I, I don't think I would have ever gotten to by myself. Yeah, and, and, and this is part of the reason that, that I think these podcasts serve so much because as somebody that thinks in financial terms with 20, 25 years or however long I've been doing this, right. it, it, it's natural for me to pivot back and forth with assets and cash flow and whatnot. I think it's important for the audience to think that long-term care expenses and the way that you have to pay for it, it's an income problem. Mm -hmm. It's not a how much money you have problem. It's how much money you can generate on a regular basis Mm -hmm. to pay for the incoming bills that might change. Mm -hmm. So I use language like that whenever I get sort of the glazy eyes, which maybe I just glazed your eyes over. Yeah, the (laughs) 500,000 generate 30,000. Eric, I don't know about you. Yeah, she was was giving me the talk human look. Uh, What I go back with is like, listen, we need to figure out a way to pay for it predictably in a way that can last as long as possible. And we want to evaluate just like you're going through. I think appropriately, families need to evaluate different options about am I going to be staying at home? And if not, is an adult daycare like Insight Memory Care Center that we talked about earlier, is that appropriate or an assisted living? Like you got to go through and you got and you got to look and you got to look at your different range of options. And that's going to be true whether you're considering different kinds of investments annuities, mutual funds or whatnot, you have to have all of them on the table in order to be sure that when you winnow down, you're taking your responsibility of meeting a fiduciary standard that I've looked at different stuff. And after understanding different options, I chose this one. Yeah, this is where I'd give a a shout out to the aging life care professionals, because a lot of people out there, when you're stuck in this and you just don't know, the first step might be to hire someone like that to help you navigate unless there's somebody around that has gone through it that can jump around. Right. And you remember also when, when Eric and it was making a comment about what, what responsibilities are. I mean, I do have to put pressure on, on our vet and Eric as listeners in this exercise. It's your job to look at different options. Like right. you can't, you can't just do the, well, it's in a bank account and I'll just take it out of the bank account. No, the standard of care is 
where, I mean, what, what the courts say, if you get sued is you have to look at different options and have to have a reason to pick the particular path that you're going in. Mm -hmm. If you never look around at different options, you're not meeting the standard of care that you should be from a legal standpoint, from a liability standpoint. So that's why we're walking through it, you know, organize and discover, then evaluate some different options. So, so Eric, I was just going to say that you have to try to strike a balance because you brought it up earlier and I have a picture of the ideal care for my, my parent, let's say, and it's going to be in a, and they're okay with going into a facility that will help them. Maybe they've got some memory issues or whatever, and they're going to have all sorts of therapy that's going to uh, help them with those issues. They're going to have round the clock care. They're going to have amazing meals, so on and so forth. And that may be my ideal, uh, you know, thought of what I want for them. And then on the other side of the spectrum, I, I have the fear of Charlie and the chocolate factory, right? Where grandpa Joe is sleeping in the dining room um, <laughs> and because money's run out and now yep. his bed's right there and we're having dinner, you know, eating on his bed, which is just weird. So that, that's my biggest fear. How do you you want to be a good, I don't know if it's a good fiduciary uh, or it's your responsibility to, to weigh all those different options, but how do you strike that balance where you eliminate fear from the situation mm -hmm. as much as you can, but you also say, okay, you know, the gourmet meals that are going to be cooked by top chefs and have all this, that's just not going to be attainable with that 30000 that's being generated by the 500000 and the other income that's coming in from retirements or, or pensions or whatever else. How do you strike that balance and help people get overcome the fear and be able to focus on what's truly possible? I mean, I think that's a, that's a great question. And the, the only framework, Eric, that I think is helpful is defining the things that you're most hopeful for and that you're most afraid of. So, so imagine that if we're thinking of taking care of somebody that we love and going into a plan of care, there's sort of a hierarchy of priorities that sometimes families have to to pick between. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would say, for example, you know, is and I'm, I'm going to give you an extreme case, but is it more important to make sure that that you know mom has the highest end meals in the brass and mahogany place for one year while mm -hmm. we can afford it, and then have to make a transition and we'll see where it goes then, or is it more important that we have a plan of care that keeps her socialized and never being alone mm -hmm. in a way that we know can we can go on for five years? Right. Yeah, and, and, and I'm using an extreme example of am I, am I comparing a dining room experience that I can afford for a year versus socialization and combating loneliness that might be in a less expensive setting that I can afford for a longer period of time. I would, and I think a good care manager would come back to you and your family would with something that says, is it more important to keep mom socialized and with people or to have this brass and mahogany experience? Because, you know, that that's, that's sort of the forced prioritization that a good, hopeful, fearful conversation can suss out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that goes back to what you said about the fiduciary standard, right? You have to look at the options. You have to be realistic as the person now responsible for the money of making decisions that are in the best interest of the person. Right. Right? Yeah. That is your responsibility. The other thing that we have to just state again is that you are not making financial decisions in isolation. The financial decision should be driven by the healthcare needs and scenarios, and what are you most hopeful for and what are you most fearful of? 
they have to go hand in hand. So in the healthcare world, as we're dealing with families that are going through these issues, what is your goal, right? Is your, is your goal for a cure? Is your goal for stabilization? Is your goal to manage um, a dignified death? What is your goal? And then once you have your goal, then you can figure out how the finances play to that. Yeah. Right? And, I, and I think when I was when I was given the example of the socialization versus the dining room, I also think that it's important to recognize that that it's more important to have a reason to make these financial decisions mm-hmm. um, than it is to anticipate somebody else is going to be giving you the right set of priorities. So if, for example, Eric said, like, you know what, dining is more important than anything else. Right. And we'll figure mom it out. Mom was a chef and yeah, mom loves Mom's food. a chef mm-hmm. and, like, I'll figure it out in a year. But the most important thing is, is you've got to identify what that priority is, and then you have to make subsequent decisions that support that. If you do that, then you are meeting the standard and you're meeting your responsibility. You just have to identify what it is that you're shooting at. Which dartboard am I shooting at? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that-, that And it, document it. Yeah, and that's why you evaluate your different options and you document that because that moves into the next piece, which is you, you actually have to write down what you're trying to accomplish. We're trying to make sure that number one, you know, mom stays in a standard of living in a manner to which she's accustomed for the longest period of time. And then after that can't be afforded any more than we need to keep her close to a local family member, mm-hmm. like yeah. something like that. Or and it's always different with different families or wealth setups or things like that. But once you identify what that plan is, what the specific goal is, we got to treat that as the dog that's wagging the tail. All of the subsequent decisions, and I believe about healthcare, but also about financial, like all of the subsequent decisions are beholden to those most important things that we talk about that is a blend of sensitivities about things that we're most hopeful for and we're mm-hmm. most afraid of. I'm really afraid mom's going to be alone, but right now I'm most hopeful. I'm balancing that with being most hopeful to keep her in a standard of living that she's accustomed to. Yeah. But I feel like Go ahead, Eric. No, no, no. I, I just was agreeing with Tom. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of the conversation we've been doing is still focused on the healthcare side and finding the right place. What are some good examples of the financial decisions that have to be made to support that? Well, I think that that one of the examples is whether you, as this person that's got the financial responsibility, choose to consolidate all of your money or not. Okay. If you've got accounts at 20 different places... Okay, I would ask you the question, how is your goal of doing these things for mom or your husband or whoever it is, uh, how is it served by having money in a whole bunch of different places? Because that added level of complexity is taking your attention. It's either you're not paying attention to all the 20 accounts or it's making it more difficult to keep track of all those different things. So I would ask the question of, does it make sense to have all your money in all these different places? Does it make sense to sort of streamline? That would be an example. Another example would be, why are you in all these risky stocks? Why are you in 100% CDs? Those are the kinds of things that if you were to say, my portfolio needs to generate X amount of money to pay to for this particular thing. Back to the thing, I, you know, a good financial planner, and this is what Life Care Affordability Plan does, we're able to look at it and like, this, you know, your current setup doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. How about we set your money up in a way that serves those things that are most important to you. So I think the next piece, and we've got two more steps happily that I think summarize pretty quickly. I think once you make the plan that you write down, 
this sounds sort of self-evident, but you actually have to do it hmm. as a discrete step. So you organize your stuff, you evaluate your options, you make a plan, but then you actually have to do it. And let's remember that in the face of uncertainty about how long somebody's going to live or when you know how much help they're going to need, a lot of times people hesitate on decisions. A lot of times people procrastinate because they're not sure that this next step, is, that they have all of the information. I think that that financial decisions are no different. There needs to be an acceptance that people need to make some of these decisions with ambiguity. Like, I don't know exactly how this is going to turn out, but remember your responsibility of managing money for somebody else is to make the best possible decision with the information that you have on hand. And, and the other thing is if you can't do it, if you're not going to be the person to execute it, you need to acknowledge that and delegate. And not just Absolutely. put the plan aside, but find the professional that's going to help you execute it. Yeah. I mean, that that's certainly a lot of the ways that, that families engage us. No which, head in the sand. Yeah. No head in the sand. It's like, listen, I need, I need this pile of money to do the thing that supports what's most important to me and you do it. Right. Now, interestingly, like for, for families that are responsible for making these decisions, it's still their responsibility. Even though they delegate it to professionals like us, it's still their name on the document. Right. So I think it's incumbent on all of the professionals that serve families in this situation to have a reporting mechanism that shows how these sets of decisions, once implemented, continue to support these new most important goals. And it has to be something that I would say is written down that you'd be able to show somebody else because the last piece after you actually implement the decisions and, and execute on them, the last of our five steps is to develop a monitoring function. Mm -hmm. Just because you organize, because you evaluate options, you know, make a plan, implement it, it doesn't mean you're done. Doesn't mean it's working. Doesn't mean it's working either. You got to have, is this working? Sometimes people make mistakes. Sometimes professionals make mistakes. And if things are going off, if the path has taken us off in the wilderness, like use your bumper metaphor, like if we're not in between the bumpers anymore, you got to go back and reset. This so, is the same thing in healthcare when someone moves into a community or is getting services at home. They do ongoing care plans to make sure that the, the, care that's being provided is exactly that care that's needed and nothing's needed and nothing's changed. So I've learned the same thing on this side of the house. When we do the life care affordability plan and we're helping people ongoing with monitoring, we're just making sure that we're all still marching in the same direction. Right. And it's very important. And I've also learned that people who were very skeptical of approaching a financial organization in the beginning, once you get through the monitor to the monitor phase and you've been step by step with them along the way, there's a there's a bit of confidence in them now that they understand some of the basics. They can't always do it themselves. They're still will will delegate that out. But they're walking with a little bit more pride, like they know mm -hmm. some of the language and they know that they're doing the right thing. And I think that that is that's key. How do we put these financial decision makers that have a responsibility that maybe they're not ready for or real excited about, but nevertheless, that's where you are. How do you put them in the position so that they know they're doing, doing right the by the person that they're trying to take care of? And I think that it all comes back to what is it that you're trying to do? And let's make sure that we've got a reporting and a monitoring mechanism that not just can validate that, but can set up the next chapter when we go back to the beginning What's our current situation and how do we reevaluate re options from there? So I think that the idea of those five steps, if we did this podcast right, 
it's important that professionals in senior housing and healthcare and families that are going through this feel like some of these concepts are accessible. It, it actually, if you break it down into smaller pieces, makes a lot of sense. And that's a lot of the method that we do with life care affordability planning and certainly is the theme that we bring all of our aligned professionals back to every time we talk about it and try to integrate plans of care. Yeah, I think this is a great podcast to unpack. There's a ton here. Um, I know we're really low on time. Uh, one thing that we didn't touch on that I'm, I'm hoping that you guys will consider doing another podcast on, and I know that you have so many connections, it may be an opportunity to bring in a guest as well. Uh, but the one piece that we didn't talk about today is the one person that we're taking care of and their thoughts on it. And so when you've got mom who wants those higher end meals, like we were talking about, or, or mom that wants a, a certain type of care, how do you have that conversation and, and how do you guide the conversation along the way as they progress, whether in a disability or they progress health-wise downward? How do you have that continued conversation doing the best you can for your mother, your father, your, whoever you're taking care of, while at the same time maintaining the budget that you have to maintain uh, as, a, as a fiduciary responsibility. I mean, that, that's a whole other piece to this that we haven't scratched the surface on. Can we do a podcast on that? We could do a podcast on that. Mm -hmm. That's sort of a combination of managing expectations, communicating with seniors with varying levels of ability. Yeah. What popped into my mind is any of the other uh, parties that might be part of the decision making exactly. process. You know, the 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 daughter from California, the right. you know the 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 neighbor that means well but is always sticking her nose in and mucking things up. And yeah. like, how do you message all of those? That's a great yeah. idea. And we'll, we'll be, we'll put that on our list. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Tom, this was great. I appreciate it. I got a, a, a high level of education today. Uh, any closing thoughts from either one of you before we wrap this up? Lead with the things you're most hopeful with. Identify the things you're most afraid of. That's the boundaries that we need to make decisions for both healthcare and finance. And don't be afraid to delegate just because you don't know that doesn't mean you can't take the steps. Yeah, absolutely. All right, yeah. thank you guys. And you got to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, you have to talk about it. Absolutely. You have to talk about it. All right, and thank you all for joining us today on the Life Care Affordability Planning Podcast with Tom and Arvette. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Tom and Arvette come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And if you have family that you need to broach this subject with, this is a great way to do it. Give them the podcast, let them listen to it, uh, and then just ask them what they thought. And then uh, open that conversation and then reach out to Tom and our vet. They're, they're great people. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Life Care Affordability Planning, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Views and opinions provided herein are those of the individual speakers. All content is informational only and is not intended to be an endorsement or recommendation of any particular investment strategy or other course of action. Consult your tax, legal, and financial professions concerning your specific situation. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through SEIA LLC. Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Life Care Affordability Plan is a marketing name for SEIA. Services related to evaluating the client's health care treatment plan are independent of and not endorsed by Royal Alliance Associates, Inc.